It's hard when your feet dangle. Imagine little kids, they have to sit on chairs that dangle all the time. Yeah, this is true. I know Veda sitting on the toilet, his feet are just dangling. <laughs> like, oh, dude. Like, he's got to put something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a little st stool or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um. Pulling up our interview questions. You have the interview yeah, question pulled up? Okay. Okay, so I'll introduce yeah, so this introduce the yep. podcast and we'll get started. Uh, hello everybody, thank you. This is Answers of Life. Welcome back. And uh, today we have Mother Taruni, aka Linda, aka Mammy. Um, she's my grandmother. And uh, I couldn't pronounce Nanny when I was a kid, so it was Mammy. <laughs> um but we're going to talk today, just ask her a few questions, uh, do an interview-style podcast episode today. Don't forget to hit like, subscribe, follow, share um, with a friend or with somebody that you don't like very much, if you don't like us very much, but share it with somebody, <laughs> and we'll get into it and get started here. So, welcome, Mammy. Hi. Welcome. Yeah, we're very nice happy. To be. Nice to be here. We're just mm. going to ask you a couple questions here. Um, I'll start with... Do you want to maybe just, I thought we could kind of start at the beginning of your life, start at the beginning, so to speak, and just talk about like maybe a little bit about your childhood and such, and like kind of how you went from the situation you were born into, and a little bit about what that situation was, and then how that led to you choosing Christian. to, like, maybe vegetarianism, Krishna consciousness, all the things that you chose that led to the rest of the dynasty of the Stalker family being born. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, so I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And um, my parents were very kind, and um, I was raised in the Jewish tradition. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we weren't extremely religious, so to speak. We would go on high holidays, maybe occasionally on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. My brother was um, bar mitzvahed, um, so we had that ceremony. But And I went to Hebrew school some. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, um, remember being attracted to the Hebrew language, particularly. Mm. And also, uh, one memory that stuck with me from Hebrew school was, um, learning at the drinking fountain, the water fountain, to offer the water before I drank it. Oh. So there was some prayer to offer this to God. Right. And um, then, um, you know, growing up, um, I remember one thing that struck me um, was um, sometimes at the high holidays and other times just at a regular meal was the fact that there was animal parts on the table. Mm -hmm. And my parents were very kindly toward animals. Mm -hmm. If a random dog got hit in the street, because at that time dogs ran kind of wild, and yeah. they weren't so wild, but they were loose, right. um, my father would cry. Oh. And so I remember, you know, just at some animal dying, he would shed a few tears. And I remember thinking of the, I guess, disparity of how um, this doesn't make much sense, that mm. we're eating animals, yeah. and yet we're worried about them on another hand mm. on the other hand um we had cats we had dogs you know so we also took care of animals in the house um the first death that i saw was a rabbit oh. and i remember being quite shocked at that rigor mortis and how mm -hmm. once alive now dead mm -hmm. so those experiences um kind of drove me toward when i became 15 I saw an operation on lung cancer, and it looked when they opened up the chest. It was in school in the auditorium, and they opened up the chest of the man, and it looked like a side of beef that my mother might cook, and that was it. I did not eat meat after that. Mm -hmm. So you know that. So that was one difference that I was um, pursuing as a youngster that wasn't in my culture. How old were you? 15. 15. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I it, was a, it was a developmental process. Right. Um, and I think I once babysat, maybe when I was about 12, 
for someone who was a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And so I remember the concept coming up, that mm -hmm. that is a possibility. Right, you had, you had the idea that you could do something like that if you chose right. to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and the different things that were in the refrigerator, you mm -hmm. know. So, yeah. um, so then, let's see, my girlfriend um, had, was living on the street that I grew up on because her mother had died at a very early age. So she was living with her aunt. Mm. And then eventually she moved in with her dad um, once he got a place and everything. Um, but, or had facility, you know, things got um, necessarily, um, what's the word, Up, uh, an upheaval mm -hmm. when the mother died. So, then, mm -hmm. so, um, so my girlfriend having lost her mother at a very early age was significant to me. Mm -hmm. And then I saw how worried she was on a daily basis about her father's life. Mm. Then a couple of years later, like she might've been eight or nine when her mom died. Mm -hmm. But then when um, her dad died, she was maybe 12, 13. Oh so that hit me really hard like what kind of a world this was a very mm. big turning point for me mm. what kind of a world have we come to yeah that you, we die mm -hmm. that, that you lose people yeah. it make no sense yeah it's very so, saddening yeah very saddening and i and i was thinking well what happens after death so this mm. promoted that kind of thought and being I don't know what I missed in Hebrew school, but I didn't have a clear idea of God. And I did not have a clear idea of what happens after death, of any idea of life after death. Mm -hmm. There's some vague idea, but it was very vague. So I was con actually contemplating somehow or other it, and the idea of not existing. Because to my knowledge, this is what right. we had. Mm -hmm. So then... Um, I was just, I remember laying on my bedroom floor, just thinking and thinking and thinking, how is this that we, you could not exist? What would that be like? And all of a sudden I got this feeling that I had made a wrong turn to get into a world where I, mm -hmm. and I felt a little implicated in the fact that I was in a world where people die. Wow. And then when you say implicated, I'm sorry, you mean like you felt that you had a part to play and why she was here, why you were here. Yeah. 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 Some part, you know, not necessarily the whole thing, but yeah, had, um, and so, um, so that gave me the sense of my actions are very important. What I do matters. Mm. Yeah. And it also gave me something of a drive toward knowing more more about life and more about myself and my connection to the universe. So at some point, I think it was around 14, I actually, um, when I was a real little kid, if I was bored, I would sit out. We didn't have much TV or mm -hmm. you know, electronics. I would sit outside um, on the stoop and smash rocks for fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of rocks around. <laughs> and um, and they, it always looked like fairy dust to me. And it um. looked very um, sort of ethereal and jewel-like. Yeah. And so, um, at some point when I was around 14, I decided that rocks were kind of like a, um, what's the word, like a symbol of the entire universe, mm. that there was some connection, um, and um, primal. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of set up some kind of little altar kind of idea, you know, put it in a special place and honored mm -hmm. a rock mm -hmm. that I'd found. Mm -hmm. So then... You know, you go on with your life, and um, we were living in New York City, and um, in 1966, my husband and I, and uh, we were boyfriend and girlfriend at that time, in uh, the East Village of Manhattan, and A.C. Um, Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada, as we call him, uh, was had come there and was giving classes, had his books in the local bookstore, the East uh -huh. Village bookstore. So at that time, oh, we, he was 
chanting in the park, sitting, chanting, singing. A uh, few followers with him, uh, you know, dressed in Swami robes. Mm -hmm. And we encountered them in the park. I think that was, well, the first encounter was actually my husband, Yadunanda, and he, he uh, saw the books in the bookstore. And mm -hmm. he would pick them up almost daily and That's look Papa. through, yeah, <laughs> look through, was a little hard to understand, didn't have much money, put it back, whatever, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But then we encountered the chanting in the park. And um, then in the um, uh, local head shop, they called it some kind of a mm -hmm. odds and ends shop, um, <laughs> they had a sign that was Bhagavad Gita classes, uh, 26 Second Avenue, um, from Swami A.C. Bhaktivedanta. And, uh, you know, it was in the evening, so we ventured down there once or twice and, um, you know, became familiar with chapatis and the chanting a little bit and heard a lecture and mm -hmm. it was all very intriguing but we weren't quite ready to you know come often mm -hmm. we, we wanted to visit more but then we ended up moving out of that area and out of the city altogether so we lost track of the devotees mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how we you know, it, it was intriguing. I learned the mantra. In in New York, where in I New was. York. And then when, you, when they and then when you had left, 66. you lost contact with that. Right, with that direct thing. But we were still like reading the I Ching, you know, searching. We had a Bhagavad Gita mm -hmm. by somebody else. Mm -hmm. okay. um, How old were you then at this point? Um, I think I had. It was sixty six. I had just turned eighteen. Oh, okay. When, oh, while wow, you're young already. How um, how did you? Like, I guess, like, so you were already dating Papa at, the eight, at 18? Yeah, we started dating when I was 17. Oh, okay. How did you meet Papa? Just briefly, I'm going necessarily, or as, as, as brief as you want it to be. Sure. Right I had been in France for a year, and um, <clears throat> when I came back, I went to visit my sister, who had gotten married and had a baby and lived in um, West Charleston, West Virginia. It was a college town. Mm. So Papa had gone to school there. Uh, Yadunanda is called Papa. My, my grandfather. Yeah. John yeah. Stalker. John Yadu. <laughs> All the names. So anyway, he was going to school there and his best friend, so one of my best friends growing up was my sister's husband. Mm. And Papa and he had become best friends. So when I oh. went to visit my sister. Which sister? Meryl. So Meryl's, Meryl's husband was Papa's best friend. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm. Very cool. So when I went to visit my sister, there was Papa. He was staying the night, and he had a motorcycle, so it was yeah, light. Was bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was, he was quite a little bit handsome, and he had a motorcycle, so it was all intriguing. He still was <laughs> a little bit handsome, just a little. Now at that time, I guess I was sixteen, going on seven, oh, 17 going on. Okay. Yeah, it was seventeen going on eighteen. It was the summer mm -hmm. of '66. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so, so, um, so Papa was there, um, staying overnight. He was about to leave for Pittsburgh. His mother, and he had grown up in Pittsburgh in a different area of Pittsburgh. Okay. So, yeah, he had also grown up there, but you had never met him there. Correct. They were in a completely different area, wow. miles away. So then when I went back to Pittsburgh a few weeks later, or maybe a month, he came to visit me. Okay. And that's how it all started. That's how it all started. <laughs> <laughs> he hunted you down. Yeah. Cute. Oh, um, man. So, wow. tell us about the first time you met Prabhupada. Like the very, like the first, like maybe what, whatever the encounter you feel that was really at least the impactful one. Maybe obviously you saw him, but the first time you like really connect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's kind of deep. But, um, so some arrangements were made completely without our endeavor. Mm -hmm. Um, so I always think that, you know, the a small encounter without a real personal effect from my point of view, mm -hmm. um, was that, that Srila Prabhupada. Mm-hmm. Or Krishna in the heart mm -hmm. was making um, arrangements, mm -hmm. and 
So we lived in a college town at this point in Athens, Ohio. Mm. And it was um, uh, out in the country just a little ways on the road going from Columbus, Ohio to Athens or, or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And, um, and Yadu was uh, working in the student union. He was thinking about going into photography, actually, mm. as an occupation. Wow, okay. But, um, so he's working there, and he m knew a fellow who would come in quite often who was involved in getting alternative types of people to come to give lectures mm -hmm. in the evening at the university. Just so like a, to broaden people's yeah, horizons. Yeah, I think it. Athens was a little bit of a, what's the word, progressive mm -hmm. university. Okay. So um, one we saw, one we went to see, one presentation we went to see was Timothy Leary. Mm, okay. Um, and so um, this fellow, I forget his name, he approached Yaru and said, you live on the road from Columbus to Athens, and Swami A.C. Bhaktivedanta is coming to give a lecture such and so time, um, and my house is being usually, no, usually I um, <clears throat> host these people who come to give lectures, but my house is being renovated. Mm. So I wondered if you would be willing to host him when he comes. Mm. And this is now after you had already met the devotees. You yeah, you had like... Yeah, this is then. 1969, May, okay. probably May. Okay. And Athens, in which state again? Uh, Ohio. 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 Ohio, okay. So, Srila Prabhupada um, had given a presentation to thousands, and I should know better, um, at the Ohio University in Columbus. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, Allen Ginsberg was with him. Mm. And it, it was at least an hour long, I believe. Oh, and wow. chanting took place, and it wow. was like so well received. Mm. Thousands of people were there, as I recall. Mm. Um, he had done that and then was doing some of these satellite things, like mm -hmm. going out to other places when engagements were arranged. Mm. You know, he, wherever Srila Prabhupada went, he always wanted engagements to present something about Krishna. Mm -hmm. Because to Srila Prabhupada, Krishna is the be-all and the end-all, mm -hmm. and letting people know about their dear most friend is the most important. Yeah. Mm. Very so cool. he so, so he stopped by the house basically briefly after that. So, yeah, yeah, he came. Um, two cars. There was a minivan mm -hmm. with unending devotees get, getting out of it, <laughs> like oh. a little circus <laughs> trick. And um, and then another. Um, gosh, Papa would know the kind of car it was, but like a Lincoln Continental that mm -hmm. Hayagriva was driving, mm -hmm. and Kirtan Ananda they were in with Prabhupada in the car. Mm -hmm. So two vehicles stopped. Um, and um, our, so we had a, a front lawn and a nice big backyard that was much more secluded and private, and then a little driveway along the side. Well, the devotees piled out, Prabhupada piled out, and as I recall, they didn't go in the house right away. They sat down on the front lawn. That's my recollection. Srila Prabhupada sat here, and the devotees sat in like a semicircle around him. Mm -hmm. And the porch was here with steps. Mm -hmm. So I had prepared some things that they had told me they could eat, but I was a little too independent-minded. Uh. We were doing macrobiotics. And they said to make white rice, so I just couldn't see how anybody would want to eat that. Uh. And I made a huge pot of brown rice. And then they didn't want to offer any of it to Robert. <laughs> he wouldn't eat brown rice? No. Oh. I mean, at least they thought he wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Oh. I, so, I wonder why would the... It's just because of his diet? Like, is it, is it hard on the stomach or something? Or is it like think, an actual, like... Is it like a more deeper reason than just... Hmm. I didn't, I hadn't heard that that was a... Yeah, was... Um, it, when, when Srila Prabhupada grew up, I, I believe, or the Ayurvedic thing mm -hmm. or something. Where the brown rice has, is not so good. 
Yeah, like, it's more heavy. Right, it? yeah, for yeah. sure it feels heavier. That's what yeah. I was wondering if it was just a diet. Yeah. It was just like a thing so, for his stomach being older, didn't want like the brown rice. Well, like... I don't know if he ever ate oh, much okay. brown rice. Not that he wouldn't, if, mm -hmm. you know, right, I don't right. know that, but the devotees knew that he preferred, preferred the, much yeah. more the white rice, so they didn't even offer it to him. But, um, yeah, the you know, the, the whole wheat... On the bean, you know, the um, mm. doll beans, the little smaller doll beans, yeah. are the main staple. And then the rice is complementary. Right. It's not like your main nutritional factor. Right, it's just there to kind of carry the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. it has some... Um, Fiber or whatever you well, want. Well, yeah, I've heard, I don't know if it's true, it might have some kind of um, absorption quality yeah, it yeah. definitely does yeah that's why when you get something wet like a phone you put it in rice and it helps it to mm. not die yeah sucks the water right out so i'm mm -hmm. sure it can probably help to absorb like you're saying like maybe things like imp like things you don't impurities. want impurities yeah. Yeah. yeah very cool so um anyway the, um so then so this was the impactful thing um walking so i had a i had made a fruit salad thank god <laughs> <laughs> and I brought it out onto the porch. This big bowl. Well, we had sent out cups with yadu and spoons mm -hmm. and things like that. And so I brought the fruit salad out, and I started walking down the steps. And as I turned toward the assembly, so Prabhupada's here, so I'm turning. I see Srila Prabhupada looking at me, mm -hmm. and. We somehow he penetrated my heart and my eyes, and I felt very, very loved, mm. but in a more deep way than than I than is almost possible to express. It it had to do with a universal kind of love. It mm -hmm. wasn't a single person to person. Mm -hmm. It's Prabhupada felt like he carried a universal love, and mm -hmm. that he. Um, and I felt humbled by that, you know, that immense uh, uh, presence mm -hmm. and kindness and mm -hmm. mercy. And um, I honestly felt like I couldn't walk or shouldn't walk like that. I should crawl. Wow. I felt that humbled. And yet, at the same time, there was a sense of exaltedness that I was part of this. Mm -hmm. uh, it was very odd to have those two things together. And as time gone on, those kinds of things that seem opposite, mm -hmm. um, the way they come together is where I find transcendental uh, consciousness. Wow. Mm. Wow. So, um, in many, many aspects. Anyway... I managed to get there with the fruit salad, and um, the dishes were passed out somehow, and, um, you know, the devotees were helping, Yadu was there. And then, so they took prashadam, and at, at that, and then Prabhupada came in the house, and he used the bathroom, and he sat in a chair and looked around, and he seemed very pleased. It was mm -hmm. a nice, clean, hippie house. And we had cushions on the floor. We didn't have much much furniture. Do you have one chair? Is that the? Or is there that was a rocking chair. chair. We had one rocking chair and then some cushions on the floor from an old couch, <laughs> and um, and a TV off in the corner. We watched Star Trek once a week. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Srila Prabhupada looked around. He said, um, "See, we have no need of couches. Of I think mm -hmm. he said couches, but couches." And um, and, um, oh, we had a picture on the wall of, uh, the two, what's it called, 2001? The Odyssey? Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of the baby floating in space. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of, and, um, so, so Prabhupada left, he went out, and, um, and, uh, we trailed along and went to the, the class. But at that, that was the time that I was, captured my heart was uh, captured my mm. uh, my i had fallen in love with this this um connection yeah and um then after the lecture and i remember sitting there like hanging on every word 
somehow or other, I think I did understand pretty much, even though Prabhupada had something of an accent. Mm -hmm. And it, it just, everything seemed to, it emanated truth, mm -hmm. emanated reality. Mm -hmm. um, so then Prabhupada came out and he got in the car and left and the devotees decided they were going to stay overnight with us. So we went uh, kind of close to where the cars were. There was a flagpole and some grass and we had kirtan. Mm. Now, back up. I used to grind rice, the macrobiotic thing. It took me 45 minutes every day, every other day. At some point, I, it was a hand grinder. It was because my son was kind of ill and he needed the brown rice cereal was really good mm -hmm. for him. So at some point I got kind of bored, just grinding, grinding, grinding. And then I remembered the mantra, mm -hmm. and I had been for the, a couple of months prior is when it had hit me, oh yeah, I could chant, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Mm -hmm. And I was doing that for a couple of months before they came to the house. Oh, wow. So then we're out on the college green with the flagpole, and we're chanting, and this is the first time that the whole, the whole impact, of whole, I can't say whole, but a great impact of the Hare Krishna mantra, the holy name, descended into my consciousness. I actually wow. saw the beauty, felt the beauty of mm -hmm. the holy name. In that kirtan. In that kirtan when we were out. Because that's really And Prabhupada was there with you guys. No, he had just, left already. He had left and but it was he had, you and the devotees. He had left his mercy. Yeah. Wherever yeah. he went, he gave yeah. mercy. And and you have to understand, wherever you're out giving Krishna to people, that is where Lord Chaitanya is. Mm. And mm. he is the deliverer of the Holy Name. Wow. So Prabhupada carries all of that to mm. all of us. So yeah, it felt like the heavens opened up and all the love was pouring out. It was really a, an ecstatic experience. So then, you know, after all of that, how do you not embrace the holy name? How right. do you not yeah. embrace association with the devotees? Yeah, that's where that's where your connection is. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did it all? So you mentioned that you had grown up in a Jewish family. Not super strict in practicing, but you said you really loved the Hebrew language. Did you find the Sanskrit kind of spoke to you in the same way that the Hebrew language did? Is that another, like, did that maybe play a factor in, in your attraction? Mm -hmm. to I don't think there was a direct correlation. Um, we didn't have many books in those days. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember when Bhagavad Gita, I think, was just about to come out. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we had this, because the Devanagri is there, and then the transliteration. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have the Sanskrit to look at. Mm -hmm. Now, Oh, the first edition of the Bhagavad Gita didn't have the... Yes, it did, but I don't think it had come out when we first oh, joined. Okay, when, okay. For my initial attraction, mm -hmm. you know. But, um, but it, there was an interesting phenomenon. We... I mean, we got initiated within a month and, wow. and you know, struggling to get our rounds done. It was all new. Mm -hmm. um, Prabhupada's mercy. I mean, there's some, you know, Sri Prabhupada initiated us in person. We were the, you know, it was up at New Vrindavan. He was about to leave. It was so terrifying to think of him leaving. But um, mm -hmm. so we had visited before and we thought he kind of thought he lived there, you know, because he was there for a whole month. We went to get rid of our stuff to move to the temple. And by the time we got back, he was about to leave. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so it was quite heartrending. But um, but once we moved into the temple, as far as you're answering your question, mm -hmm. the, um, the prayers were, were had a, you know, the other prayers that we say, pranams, mm -hmm. the, the uh, you know, how would you explain the obeisance mm -hmm. kind of prayers? Um, the prayers to Lord Chaitanya, the ones that weren't directly the Hare Krishna mantra, yeah, the, but the other names, uh, holy names of the Lord, which he has hundreds and millions. Mm -hmm. um, they, those different songs that incorporated all that Sanskrit mm -hmm. and some Bengali, 
were so easy to learn. Mm -hmm. They were just so automatic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess because every day we sang them, but within a very short time. And I remember specifically um, the prayers to Lord Chaitanya, the um, Sundar Archie prayers. Mm -hmm. Kiva Jaya Jaya Gora Chande so those prayers, when we would sing them, I felt the same kind of feelings of, you know, connection that as that mm. day at the flagpole. Oh, wow. So I always had a great affinity for Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Mm. His, you know, so preeminent importance. Mm in our movement. Without, and Prabhupada explains that, without Lord Chaitanya, you cannot understand Krishna. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. Um, what do you think, uh, if you could take one thing that you learned from your life, I mean, it could be from Srila Prabhupada's teachings or your life experience, but if you could take one thing that you've learned in your life and teach it to others, what do you think is like the most important thing that you could pass on? Well, that's a pretty big question. Um, we're well, deep, but um, uh, I to clarify further on that because I think there's two separate parts of that question. If you there's something like on the one hand like kind of like what would you teach to everybody if you could or say if you could say one thing to all you know however billion people on the planet what would it be and then there's also like a passing on in the sense of like um for me at least something that i was uh, wanted to know was in relation to what he said but a little bit more specifically what would you pass on to the youth of today mm -hmm. um whereas i don't know if you just meant the entire world or if you well, meant yeah, specifically I mean, to us or like what was your yeah no i got you um, um because I think it does change just a little well, in the nuance of that. So you say, Srila Prabhupada, you experienced that he, he carried this universal love. Is mm. there something... Like, what what can you attribute that to? Is there something that you okay. saw in him that was okay. what allowed him to carry that kind of presence? Mm -hmm. And if you notice what that was... Hmm. You know what? You know. Nice. Okay, so um, the thing that came to mind initially as you were speaking is his connection to all the spiritual masters going back mm. to Krishna and you know to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and then to mm. Krishna. Um, him following to the letter in the mood of, I won't right. say to the letter, but in the mood of those acharyas, mm -hmm. those spiritual masters, um, not changing anything, not giving his own interpretation, mm -hmm. um, simply repeating the name, the, the words, the understanding that Krishna is, is giving himself and that is understood through the other spiritual masters. So there's a connect between mm -hmm. all the the, the mood and the, the deep understanding on many levels, um, although it may vary ever so slightly amongst, it, there's a, a strong um, continuum do through th down through the ages. Do you think some of that is attributed to the feeling of the lack of ego when someone is constantly referring back to other people and saying this is, you know, what we're, like, you know, like the humbleness of just sort of, repeating what previous masters that were they're repeating what previous masters that were repeating what previous masters that eventually krishna himself said as opposed to a lot of what we deal with is people giving their own opinions and thoughts and so like they're almost i'm just wondering if you think there's that humble aspect of just being like i am just bringing this to you it's not me and that you know that's very different than the way a lot of intelligent or mm -hmm. and they can be very actually intelligent people yeah. bring messages to people in most cases it's very like you know this is my theory this is the way i especially yeah. this the way of life we grew up like in the western world it's very mm -hmm. much like that yeah so i'm so I wonder smart if that let me be, let me right. now impart to you the wisdom i've gleaned from life. right like yeah. this is what i've learned in my life where he's saying this is what i've been told and this is you know what they were told and what they mm -hmm. were told and it's all coming it feels like very powerful in that sense too because it's not even like I don't know. A, I'm just curious yeah, if that no. humble ego less. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
you know, of course, the initial recognition that of who we are mm -hmm. in relation to Krishna mm -hmm. fundamentally mm -hmm. gives one that, that humble, humble attitude. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. <clears throat> Excuse me, it took my well, For sure. I mean, I think yes, but also obviously that's easier for some of us than others. It's, it's something that yeah, it yeah, but, should but give it, you that. It, I don't know that it always does. Yeah. In the sense of like, you know, whether, how much one can actually imbibe it. Like just the words don't, but the actual realization on some level within yeah. yourself, I think. And that's why that. one needs a spiritual master. Right. To, to help you. Or a spiritual teacher, however mm -hmm. you want to word it. Someone who can, yeah. who is a life example, a living, mm -hmm. you know, moving example of mm -hmm. that humility. Yeah. And yet that exalted connection. Yeah. Sure. Um. There was many things I was thinking of. Uh, let's see. Uh, so the the guru is basically the they're the embodiment, the the living example, and and play the role of God's direct representative. Yes, yes, and unless one contacts that energy, mm. and not that just personality, guru, but an, an authentic, bona fide guru, right. Who is actually practicing, not being a hypocrite, mm -hmm. and they right. they now are channeling the shakti. It also gives us an example of how we should be living. Yeah. Like you see this person yeah. embodying these principles. It's if not just a theory. It, it is yeah. possible for others to do it. Yeah. Um. Mm -hmm. And in in the books that they leave, the mm -hmm. words because you know we only live a certain amount of years, but there's mm -hmm. writings coming down through the centuries. Mm -hmm. And just just reading, sometimes people will get a book and have never met, really, the talked to many devotees mm -hmm. or met Srila Prabhupada, you know, certainly. And they will read some of Prabhupada's words mm -hmm. and, and have dreams about him. And there's, wow. an, there's an eternal, you know, ethereal connection that's going, or transcendental, it's mm -hmm. way beyond ethereal, but transcendental connection that Srila Prabhupada, he said, my books will be read for 10,000 years. Mm. So he's giving mercy through, through the books. Wow. That power is still present. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Still present. No. I definitely can feel that to an extent mm. when I listen to Prabhupada lectures, you know, in the car or when I'm cooking at the house or something. As soon as, and I've never met him at all, but I, I've mentioned before in another episode... I think, or when Nita and I were talking at one point, like, I feel like I've known him my entire life. And when I listen to him on the tape, it feels to me like he's speaking right to me. Mm -hmm. Even he's though he's, been, he's been physically gone yeah. for, you know, th th what, 30 19, years before 19, I was born, 20, you know. Mm -hmm. But yet, it, it, the physical, his physical absence does not diminish the power of his words. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's mm -hmm. no different. You listening to the tape is, or reading the book is no different than being in his, in presence, his presence, hearing his words. Yeah. It's very powerful. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a kind of an element to some extent of truth in the sense that, like, real truth, you know, because there's, like, time, you can get convinced of stuff because somebody's charismatic or because someone mm. is, like, mm. convincing in the moment, mm. but real truth, you know, pervades and lasts. Like, it's not about, you know, it's, like, the the, the message, like you said, the timeless. power of that message being passed down. Like, that's, the, that's what he brought. And so that message is timeless. That message remains true right. with or without, you know, not without, but you know what I mean? Like, the, like the, that message itself is the truth. It's not... That someone's smile or tone of voice or they're just very persuasive with their different arguments like it's all coming from this uh, this feeling of like oh this all like adds up this all is true mm -hmm. and it's and it remains strong on its own which is just a, an attribute of strength absolutely like, there's another um, component or, or um so this this process this Krishna, mm -hmm. this personality of Godhead, is a personal um, connection, a personal path mm -hmm. with all personalities along the way, and Krishna being the supreme personality, mm -hmm. and we being personalities, and it's all extraordinarily per personal, and the mercy that is given is personal, mm -hmm. it's coming from that those personalities. Yeah. It's not just like a whole, you know, vibrational oneness that's there, 
but that that's this goes way beyond mm. the impersonal understanding of God. Right. When Which you, is very um, powerful. I just wanted to. So when you, by that, do you mean that your interaction with others, you can almost. Do you mean that we should see our interaction with everyone in our life as if they were a conduit for Krishna's like being love? sent or like yeah. oh, okay yeah. so whether they're whether they're whether you perceive them as maybe a positive or negative influence that person is still really in your life for a particular reason and that's coming from Krishna Correct. Okay. Correct. And how we deal with that and how we mm. open ourselves up to receive the mercy that, that is allowing us to deal with it appropriately. Mm. And when we do mess up, how we then again go back to opening ourselves up to learn from what we've you know, mistakenly done or acted mm. on. Sure. Um, to ask for forgiveness if we've hurt people. Uh, to have some remorse, but yeah. ultimately to not identify with uh, the positives and the negatives that have, you know, that don't directly connect us to Krishna. The temporary mm -hmm. dualities yeah. of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, you know, understanding that Krishna is the all-important factor here. It's not me. I'm the center of the universe only in the sense that my field of knowledge mm. is kind of circling around my consciousness but Krishna is the real center of all of our consciousness mm. he's within us without us you know we're part of him mm -hmm. so so um, he him it kind of takes the onus off of us we mm. don't have to feel like if something wrong was done to us or we did a mistake I mean I'm preaching to the choir here mm -hmm. I, I you know I still struggle with these things to not identify yeah. with that but actually that's the um, the way to be relieved of material anxiety mm -hmm. is to be with Krishna to give to Krishna those things that we can, we have a hard time dealing with and mm -hmm. That leads me into another question that we had, that I'd written down this morning. Um, something about, regarding struggles. What is something that you feel like maybe the the biggest struggle for you? Something that you struggle with, or maybe if you overcome something larger, it was a bigger struggle. But you know, something like the, that you've struggled with in your life, whether you still are or not, is. Um. Right. No, I think just what I was saying is, the, um, you know, making mistakes right. or feeling like they were mistakes. That um, you know, ultimately everybody has karmic reaction, and we're we're all part mm -hmm. of that. Right. But um, feeling like you could have you're you know, responsible. In, in your, yeah, your prescribed duty, your responsibility toward another person or toward a situation. Like as if we have the control to change things, even mm -hmm. though to some extent we really don't. Right. Like being frustrated mm -hmm. and then becoming angry. Right. Um, you know, as a young mother, things like that. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things are very regrettable. Mm -hmm. What is the? What do you think is the most helpful for you when dealing with that? What have you found to be the most helpful to you when you're Hmm. Or as you're working on that, just in general, yeah. long term and short term, to um to be present to mm. the emotions that come up, to not um, hide from it. Mm. There's different layers of regret of mm. uh, working through things, um, of giving them up uh, in identification. There's different layers mm. of that. So when they come up, just being fully present not fearing my mm -hmm. own um, emotional state sure. at any given time. And little by little, um, you know, feeling Krishna's uh, protection in all of it mm. more and more. That he's sort of guiding the way. And that one advantage to making mistakes that is huge, it has a humbling effect. Mm. If you can be with it and not shrub you know sh push it away and worry about it and worry what others are going to think if you can get beyond that it can have a humbling effect if you mm. don't then then it has the opposite effect mm. wow 
And then when you see other people making mistakes, you understand that it's just human. Mm. It's part of our growth. Mm. So humility, I was listening to a lecture that I, the one that I shared with you later on, uh -huh. but, uh, what's his name real quick, not, um, Mahatma Das, Mahatma, yeah, and he was talking about the divine and demoniac nature and he was saying how, I think it was Jiva Goswami who asked these questions. There was like this series of three questions and it would it was basically logically asking you know does bhakti and i don't remember verbatim but it was something like does bhakti or love give you humility mm. and the answer was you know after all of this analysis was yes it does but do you need humility to get bhakti and the answer was also yes mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. there was a third part to it i don't remember it off the top of my head but what i took away from it was that you know our goal of life at least as as bhakti you know yogis, yogis or, yeah. or our goal is bhakti yoga but it seems that there's like a tendency for people to think well you know I don't need to necessarily live in the mode of goodness. I'll just practice bhakti yoga and eventually all those other things will kind of, you know, all of those things mm. will come. But what he was really getting at was that you have to be living in the mode of goodness to, to generate momentum to be able to get bhakti. And then the more bhakti you get, it also makes you like, it's, mm -hmm. it's like a chicken and the egg thing. Yeah. So it really seems that humility is like key. one of the most key things because that's where you learn that's where you're able to get the value from your mistakes is by mm -hmm. being humble. So I just found that it was, it was nice that you said that, which was also what he was really getting at was the importance of humility, um, in, in our spiritual life, but also our material life and whatever, you know, um, yeah. And, um, so the kind of like three things that are sort of tied together, but not completely, but if you could tell your younger self one thing, what would it be? Be careful. <laughs> be careful. <laughs> Do not let your... So when I was a kid, I saw my parents sometimes being unnecessarily angry. Mm -hmm. And I said, I was 11, because I think Peter Pan had come out. Mm -hmm. So I think I got some of this idea from that. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm not going to grow up if I have to act like that. Wow. I can see that. <laughs> I'm just going to stay a kid forever. So then, you know, I'm, I have children. I, I've learned other things from my parents, in, not just how not to act. Yeah. And so I, um, some weird things like not wasting could, or, you know, some other thing would get me frustrated with the children and I would mm -hmm. end up yelling. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, somehow or other learning better to not act. Oh, so eventually I learned one thing that the, I say the word frustration easily now, but I had to go through a lot of prayer and a lot of crying to realize it wasn't like I was angry every day. I was no, there for yeah. the kids, but yeah. yeah. But still, I it took it hit me so hard when I would be unduly angry because that was the thing I was did not like. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this idea, like after a lot of prayer and meditation on it, on, on please Lord help me not do this, mm. I realized that it was frustration and it was that I was. In, a, in a, an illusory state of mind, mm. thinking that enough yelling and anger gushing out was going to change the situation, mm. oh, that it would yeah. somehow could alter it. Mm. When I realized that, it seemed like total insanity and I was actually able to stop. Nice. Yeah. Wow, yeah. That's powerful. And then wow. Ian helped. My mm. youngest son, I had never really yelled at him. Yeah. I was always pretty cool, calm, and collected by that time. And one day, I remember we were in the bathroom, and something was 
agitating me and I started raising my voice. He looked up at me and he said, because he wasn't used to this, he said, talk nicely, Mom. And that, and that was like, that was okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Um, well, okay. uh, we're working on about like in... seven to ten minutes before we should be trying to end here because this this recording app we use does have a time limit, and also okay. I know you got to get yeah, to the kids too. Um, so I have two sure. questions. Go for it. I guess um, we can always get to Marmy's part too yeah. as well. We can. Get, so you, know. you are always dedicating so much time and energy to mm. the children. That was the next one. Yeah. So we grew up. In Gidenagri, I've always felt, like I told you when you were at my house the other day, um, that you are, like, my grandma as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are. But you not only extended the same love that I saw you give to Nitai, who is your grandson, but I felt never that you treated me any less than him, even though he was your biological yeah. grandson yeah. and you acted the same way to, and all the for mm-hmm. the most part all of the devotees there did yeah treat us that way that is true. but um yeah why do you pour so much time and energy into the kids probably to make up for some of those mistakes oh. to do it better wow does it give me, it gives me opportunities to be kind to even be when provoked right mm-hmm. yeah and wow so, yeah Give you opportunities to try to get better at the way you, yeah. where you feel like you so need the to mistakes grow, that you've grown from. More. You now see your interaction with the new child as here's an opportunity yeah. to practice the change that I wanted to make back then, but now I can implement it in this current yeah, with situation. With Krishna's grace, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, but the other thing is, I actually, um, for a good bit of my life, have enjoyed being with children more than. With adults, mm. for most that? adults. Yeah. What? Why, what what about being uh, children? Do you they, well, first of all, they bring a freshness to life, and 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 often have an openness to to the learning process. Mm. Now, adults who are like that, I can hang out with them all day, also. <laughs> yeah. But I find it a little tricky. Yeah. yeah especially in this day and age, it feels like. Yeah. A lot of people are dug in. Yeah, that. yeah, oh, so opinionated mm-hmm. one way or the other way, yep. and not really using much wisdom. Mm-hmm. This, um, or compassion, humility, mm-hmm. all the things we've been talking about, yeah. Yeah. It seems to be a, some unfortunate lack of that these days to some extent. Mm-hmm. Well, the informational age is mm-hmm. bombarding us, oh, true. And, and therefore there's, true. the wisdom is kind of being You have so much out. information yeah. being thrown into your brain at all times that sometimes when there is good wisdom, you don't have the energy or the want to deal with taking it in. And then also all the information you're taking in, to some extent, you just take it as truth even when it isn't. So yeah. I, I that's one like that's of the reasons point. why we wanted that to informational do this age and, is, and interview mm-hmm. the, the wise people that we grew up with. And um, because, yeah, I definitely feel that there's especially in American society, such a high risk of, you know, we shut the, you know, I work in the healthcare system. I see the old people get shut away in the nursing homes. They get forgotten by society, but in ages gone by or other countries around the world, other cultures, they honor the old people. They, they, they see old people as this is a vast treasure trove of knowledge that when they leave Mm -hmm. the earth, it's gone. It's gone forever. I mean, think about how many ideas, like uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson says in that one interview I was watching, how many geniuses or genius ideas are buried in the graveyard that mm-hmm. never saw the light of anything. Yeah. Um, so, and then I guess leading into my final question. If you could, you have a um, passing on or something else. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if, looking back on your whole life, mm-hmm. You know, obviously you're, you know, you know, on your way towards mm-hmm. the end of your journey in this life. Oh, before if, you ask that question, wait, oh, are you asking the second to last or the very last one? The very last. I was going to ask the second to last before, because I want to end on that one. Okay. If you could pass one thing on to the youth of today, one ideal or idea, what would it be? It may be similar to what you said to yourself, but I just wanted to, mm-hmm. if there's something you could do for like the kids, you know, because you spend so much of your energy and time, something yeah. you could pass on to them. Spend time with Srila Prabhupada. Mm-hmm. Hear him, read his books, 
Very nice. I, I find excitement, like if you really read, and even doesn't have to be a long time at any given time, yeah. you're touching, a, a, like you said, like a treasure trove, a gold mm -hmm. mine, mm -hmm. and, and, and it stays with you. It does, it's not just, yeah, yeah, it doesn't just stay up here. It goes deep into mm -hmm. the heart and makes changes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, I definitely... You know, as I get older, I can see, like, oh my... Even as a kid, I would listen to, you know, the Bhagavatam classes and stuff. And even as a child, you know deep down that, like, you'd kind of take it for granted, but at the same time, like, aha. <coughs> Excuse me. Then later in life, when you run into the frustrations mm. and the problems, mm -hmm. now, that's when, in, in distress, I... Uh, Oh wait a second! You know, yeah. I've heard this before. I know what to do here. Wow! Um, and then you know, Krishna becomes much, or Prabhupada, or you know, yeah. becomes much more easy to go back to for shelter, right. or you know. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think I definitely, from my own experience, I feel like Krishna being exposed to Prabhupada and, the, and those teachings, even Jesus. My mom also was very. Um, you know, I she'd read us stories about St. Francis and, oh, nice. and um, you know, the different uh, Mother Teresa and Peace Pilgrim. So not just only Krishna worshippers, mm -hmm. but just God conscious people in general. Yeah. 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 Um, For sure. And then the last one. Yeah, and then this last question. So, you know, if you, in an, in an ideal situation... How I think I mean you were talking about death, how that was part of what enticed you into this. Yeah, the, yeah. Like the so, idea, of like what what comes after. So yeah, leading what, into what, this question now? Yeah, that. now as in now as in you know you're in the later part of your life. How do you feel about death and the afterlife, and under what circumstances do you think you will be most peaceful when it comes time for like, you to pass? What's the on? ideal way? For you, yeah. if you, if you have thought about, because I know that, especially because you brought it up, also saying that, mm -hmm. you know, that was something that kind of, in, like that was something you wanted to know more about as, mm -hmm. a, as right. a child. Do you feel like you've learned that, or something to help you answer that question? Well, I feel most peaceful in any given day. The and I, you know, to say this honestly, the more I chant, like if I get mm. more rounds done, mm -hmm. if I read a little bit, if I feel like I've spent the time that Krishna has given me in a valuable way toward um, this connecting with Krishna, with staying mm -hmm. connected with Srila Prabhupada, you know, mm -hmm. the, like pick a flower and bring it in and put it on the altar. Yeah. Some mm -hmm. way... And, and I actually just ran into a godbrother who said the same thing because of COVID, we've kind of been estranged a little bit from mm -hmm. our normal temple activities yeah. and things like that. So now we're a little bit more on our own mm -hmm. to g keep this consciousness um, mm -hmm. connected. And he said, I feel like it's a good day if I've really, you know, connected with Krishna strongly mm -hmm. at, at some point in the day, mm -hmm. if I've really made that connection. Mm. So that, to me, that helps me be more peaceful mm -hmm. the more I use my time in that way toward um, the end-of-life process, knowing that if I forget Krishna, he will remember me because we have this amazing connection. Mm. So, and at the actual time, I'm assuming it sounds like you would just want to still try to remain as connected as possible. Oh, absolutely! As the time yeah, is surrounded like, you know, by surrounded by chanting or reading or you know some. Yeah, of... yeah, definitely. Because the mantras are powerful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when you came over to our house, and I guess we can pick this up for like an episode two, interview part two. But you had told me some very beautiful, um, or related to me, your beautiful experiences oh, with Bhaktivedanta Swami. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Um, I would love to. You know, uh, since we're leaving off with this, you know, the death and the, you know, maybe if you, um, you know, if you'd like to come back and share with us some of the things maybe you learned from uh, your Experience. experiences with Bhakti Tirta Swami and, you know, some of the other, you know, God brothers. Yeah, we can get more in depth with all that, that stuff for sure. That have left and 
what kind of an like because I see people die you know regularly at work mm. in certain states of consciousness and I've also been able to see some of the devotee or you know not always not always Hare Krishna but also Christian you know yeah. the very spiritual devoted. deep devoted people that pass they always seem to me to be more peaceful yeah. and um, and you you know you spend a lot of time with Bhakti Tirtha Swami and it would be very nice if we could it would be yeah. very very yeah. happy to talk to more speak about, about him yeah. yeah very inspiring wonderful yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I would say this has been an inspiring and wonderful conversation. This has been great. We're definitely nearing the, we might even be a little over the hour. I'm not sure. So we're going to go ahead and sign off on this one. But thank you very much, Taruni, Dasi, and Mammy. We love you so much. Thank you for We love you very much. Our grandma. Our Mammy. Yeah, it's our Mammy. The whole community's Mammy. Yeah. So everyone, don't forget to share, like, comment, and... If you want to write to us, it's answersoflife at gmail.com, and that's A-N-T-S-W. You throw a W right in the middle of the... Well, (laughs) the T really is in the middle of answers. You could just put the T in there for ant, because we're small and humble like an ant. Yeah. At least that's the goal. That's the humility goal. So thank you, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.